let's uh, just pause for prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word, the Bible, and we pray now, Lord, that we will hear your voice speaking clearly to us through these words. Help us to have ears to hear. Help us to have hearts to respond as we should. Amen. I was excited. I was hoping. Some would say perhaps I was being foolish. Now, I knew for weeks that I'd be standing here just a few hours before the kickoff for the World Cup final. Would England be there? I hoped so. Would I, therefore, be bold enough to stand here and predict at this time, it's coming home? <laughs> but that's all gone now, isn't it? All in the past. So for the English football supporter, that dream is gone. Another four years of hurt. And of course, at one stage last Saturday night, the hope of the nation, the hope of the nation was for Harry Kane to be our saviour as Harry went to take that second penalty kick. But bless him, it wasn't to be, was it? That kick went over the crossbar. That's life, or say la vie, as the French would say, but let's not mention the French again, please, this morning. <laughs> yet, yet, despite that, I can stand here this morning, and I can be excited as we hear the great good news being declared here in Luke chapter 3. This good news is all about Jesus. And that message of good news comes from his cousin, John the Baptist. And so I can stand here just seven days before Christmas when we celebrate the birth of the baby, the baby Jesus born in a manger. But that baby grew up. And here in Luke chapter 3, John boldly points towards that grown-up child who John says is the Lord, the saviour of all mankind. Well, as Christmas approaches, are we excited to meet this Jesus? Well, if you want to follow me, let me strongly suggest you have your Bible open, because I will be referring to it several times. We're on page 1125, and we'll also be looking into 1126, those 20 verses. And if you have got the Bible open in front of you, you'll notice that the NIV, very helpfully this time, says that the passage is about John the Baptist prepares the way. John the Baptist prepares the way. John is the warm-up act. John is the forerunner to the Lord and it is exactly what the angel had said to Zechariah, his father, about his son in Luke chapter 1. We've been looking up through these uh, early chapters of Luke over the past few weeks. And let me just remind you that in Luke chapter 1, verse 17, the angel had said that, um, that John, he would make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And then in verse 76 as well, and you, my child will be called a prophet of the Most High. What will you do? For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. And now we are here in chapter 3. And this is exactly what John is doing as he prepares for the Lord. John goes, according to verse 3, 
He goes into the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Well, let me suggest to you that we've got three imperatives here for us this morning. Three imperatives, three, three points which we can latch onto as I speak for the next few minutes. First, be bold. Secondly, be fruitful. And thirdly, be excited. Well, let's start then with seeing how bold is John. Now, he's preaching was clearly attractive to many crowds. Crowds were coming out to hear him and to be baptised to him. And how does he greet them? Do you notice that greeting in verse 7? What a wonderfully polite greeting when John says to the crowd, You brood of vipers! You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? What a greeting. Imagine how um, newcomers would uh, feel to be welcomed into church by that this morning. Good morning, you brood of vipers. I spoke to Lee on the door. I'm told he did say good morning to people rather than calling them, calling everybody vipers. Surely John was meant to be encouraging people towards God. And I trust um, you were all given a nice welcome as you came in. Um, Otherwise, we've got to have words with our welcome team. Now, John's greeting was pretty direct, wasn't it? He's certainly not worried, is he, by political correctness or any fear of giving offence. Indeed, John shows he's being bold for the gospel because this is important news. This is serious news. People need to repent. They need to change their ways to get their hearts and minds back focused upon God because the wrath of God is upon us. Now let me suggest if we had been there 2,000 years ago, perhaps we would have been a bit more polite, wouldn't we? We would have been saying, yes, welcome to the River Jordan. My name is Andrew Young and uh, I'm your preacher this morning. And if you're new, you're especially welcome. Come and sit here. That's how we should greet people, surely. But John has no time, does he, for such pleasantries. He knows the message is urgent. People are perishing. God is angry at people's sin. They need to repent. And they need to do so before it's too late. Look at that picture that John speaks about in verse 9. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Or the lumberjack, he might be um, having a short tea break at the moment, but he's going to return soon and complete his task of felling the tree. He might actually have his axe in his hands about to hit that very first, or make that very first blow. It is happening soon. Well, at Christmas time, we often see those drink-drive adverts, don't we? And they're always a little bit shocking, aren't they? They're always very, very direct. They picture actual accidents. And they don't hold back at all, do they, with the reality that driving under the influence of alcohol or even or drugs, they can lead to awful, awful consequences. They're not pleasant adverts, are they? They're factual, direct 
and they aim to make the point. Now, many would actually say the church would actually benefit from being more plain-speaking, having preachers who don't flinch from being direct. Now, obviously, we shouldn't be people who are just rude uh, or offensive simply because of our own personality. But actually, there's love being shown here by being bold, by simply telling the plain truth to the non-believer. Now, sadly, you can go to many, many a church in this world where there's never the mention of the word hell because it's just it's too offensive, isn't it? We need, surely, to only speak of God's love. That's what people think. The talk of hell is thought by many to be narrow-minded, perhaps, and bigoted. We're labelled as extreme, if we, aren't we, if we actually believe such things? Well, are we bold for Jesus? John did not hold back from the truth. Do you notice how it ended in verse 20 for him? He told the truth, and John's thrown into prison for telling Herod he should not have his sister-in-law as a mistress. Ultimately, it cost him his head if we read through to other bits of the Bible. It cost him a lot to be bold for the truth. Well, are we bold? Are we bold to tell others the full gospel message? It is good news as Jesus comes to try and prevent us from perishing. Are we prepared to speak plainly and truthfully? Or are we still a bit too fearful of upsetting people? Well, the Apostle Paul said he was not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Why? Because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Well, John the Baptist shows boldness. He indicates no fear of speaking about the danger of hell, about the wrath of God. And when they, when they hear these things, the crowd asks, what should we do? And that's leading us into my second imperative. Be fruitful. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, do the things that will show that you've truly turned from your sins, that you're not a complete bunch of hypocrites coming here. You're, you know, John is calling for people to have a real a personal, a deep-rooted change of mind and heart that leads to a changed life. That's what true repentance is. And without real repentance, there can be no salvation. John also says in verse 8, Do not think you deserve forgiveness just because you're descended from Abraham. Do not even begin to say to yourselves, we've got Abraham as our father. And no, because a physical descent from Abraham, that's not going to um, prevent you from judgment. Now, I know it's often said by people that um, they think that their entry into heaven is secured somehow by their passport. The fact that they're, they're born in a so-called Christian country here in, here in England, in the United Kingdom. But sorry, they're... The Bible doesn't say God is an Englishman. There's no special route or backstage pass simply by your place of birth. There's also a, a misunderstanding that the, uh, about the issue of good works. 
Our society teaches us to believe that we are always rewarded for our actions. And in a few days' time, we will hear of people being recognised by our new king. People will get MBEs or OBEs or whatever, um, for, for whatever, whatever award, for faithfully serving in some way. Now, I've got nothing against those awards. They, they do recognise what people have been doing. But a gong round your neck is not going to get you an eternity with Jesus. There are also many individuals and organisations who are extremely generous towards charities, praise the Lord. But if their motives for doing such things are wrong, then by themselves they're worthless in God's eyes. And another mis uh, misapprehension is that your mere attendance at church or connection with a church actually guarantees your your place around Jesus's heavenly throne. We need to grasp this morning the message from John the Baptist, a message perhaps we may have forgotten. It's fundamental for us to grasp that message that we need real repentance. That is God's requirement. And we often remind ourselves in services that uh, phrase, that, uh, sorry, those verses from John's first letter, if we confess our sins then God is faithful and just and will forgive us. Paul also reminded the Roman church that it's not the people of Israel, the so-called natural children, who are God's children nowadays, but it's the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. We need to demonstrate our real repentance. We need to produce fruit as evidence of our, of our confession. In verse 10, again, the crowd asked for, for practical examples. What should we do? How can we bear fruit? What should we do? And John answers that they should perhaps share their belongings. John then gives other examples, doesn't he, throughout verses 12 to 14. Let me just read through them. Tax collectors also came to be baptised. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Well, don't collect any more than you are required to do, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, what shall we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. So how do we be fruitful? Well, our words and actions simply need to go hand in hand. We need to demonstrate evidence of being Christians. We need to turn away from dependence upon anything else apart from God. Who trusts in the Lord, for blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, so what the psalm says, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots in the stream. It does not fear when heat comes, its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought. And because of those deep roots, deep in the river of water of life, then it never fails to what? To produce and bear fruit. Well, are we firmly rooted and watered by that river of life, the living water which Jesus can bring? Or are we perhaps dependent on our heritage, our, our good works to see us through? Well, this morning, this, this, this Christmas, we, we need to be bold for the gospel, for the good news about Jesus, our Savior. We need to be fruitful. And thirdly, Let's just get excited. Jesus is 
coming. That was the news John was proclaiming. Our Savior is coming. And 2,000 years later, we look back at the fact that Jesus did come. We look back at what he did. He came down from heaven. He died on the cross for you and me. He rose again, and he promises that one day he will come back again. It's Christmas. There's only seven days to go until the 25th, and I'm sure it's not just the kids who are looking forward and perhaps being excited for Christmas. I'm excited because I still, I still enjoy getting presents and uh, nice food. But Christmas is, of course, far more than that, that, far more than joys and toys. It's more than the commercial success of shops, far more than having fun at office parties and good food. It's celebrating, celebrating the Savior born into this world, a child born in a manger, born to die, who would take upon himself the punishment of our sin. Well, it is joyful news this morning of Jesus who would restore our relationship with God and go before us into heaven to prepare a place for us. This is the good news which John preached, the announcement of the coming of Jesus. Jesus who brings new life for his people and also eternal punishment for those who refuse to repent. In verse 15, the people were clearly excited. They, they thought John himself might be the Christ. They had been waiting expectantly. They knew the Christ would come one day, and they thought it was John. So they asked him whether he was the Messiah, and he answers in verses 16 and 17. But the one more, but, sorry, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing, winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. The Apostle Paul said, we do not, we, you know, that we preach not ourselves, but Christ. And John the Baptist knew his position, didn't he? He knew that he was under Jesus. He said he was not even good enough to untie Jesus' sandals. John said, one mightier than him would follow, someone who is far greater than him. John had ceremonially uh, baptized them with water, but the coming Jesus would cleanse men's heart with the fire of the, live, of the Holy Spirit. Jesus would be the true Messiah who would carry through that great separation among men, like a harvester who preserves the wheat but destroys the chaff. Well, Christmas is great and good news, but it's only truly good when we understand that news and we acknowledge Jesus for who he was and we turn to him in true and real repentance. Are we excited this Christmas? Are you excited for the right reasons? Are you going to show your excitement by being bold for Jesus? Are you showing people that you truly believe and therefore are producing fruit? Well, John the Baptist was a pretty good warm-up act, but he was eclipsed by the main act, wasn't he? 
by Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour, who deserves our thanks and praise this and every single Christmas. John's role was to prepare people to meet Jesus and to do that through repentance, through turning back to God and receiving forgiveness for our sins by letting Jesus become the centre of our lives. Well, today, let us be bold. Let us be fruitful. And let us be excited. It's Christmas. Jesus is coming back one day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for this great good news at Christmas of our Saviour. May we, with joy and excitement, share this good news with all those around us who do not yet know you. May we be bold for that gospel message, encouraging people to turn back to Jesus in repentance and faith. May we be people faithfully serving and producing fruit for you. Amen.